Hot round! Red 7, Red 7, Red 7! Don! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot round! I don't. What is hot round? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Billy Bob! This is it! The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bop halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide open tailback. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch! Nom, 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 nom. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. Are you gonna get me the oh, ball? Oh, I'll get you the ball! I hope he doesn't kill somebody. Make the difference Welcome into another excellent, exciting, extravagant, spectacular edition of the 11 personnel podcast week zero version week is it yeah yeah it is week zero welcome to week zero we did it we did it it's football season congratulations congratulations ladies and gentlemen we have made it to week zero of the college football season um where this saturday the florida gators and miami hurricanes will kick off the 150th season of college football down at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. And Adam Luckett, I could not be more excited to watch some real football. Not only that, Mr. Rouse, you get Pac-12 after dark on the islands. Arizona at Hawaii. So after you catch a little buzz, maybe get in a hole early against Florida and Miami, you can catch up with Arizona and Miami. You can do that late late game chasing already. Man, College game day live from Disney World. I mean, get you pumped up. How great is it that they're not only giving us a real football game. They're also giving us Pac-12 after dark to like. They're winning a better off. start. Could yeah, have a better it's a start. nice little come down. It's a nice little come down. Um, and I know we'll be celebrating at KS Bar and Grill Saturday night. There's plenty of different places where you can be celebrating the college football season. And before everything gets kicked off, we're going to talk a lot that's gone on around the world of Kentucky football. We're going to talk a little over unders, a little gambling today. We got some picks for you. Oh yeah, and also we're going to talk about. Something that I'm really excited about, Adam Luckett, and that is Bourbon and Beyond. Have you ever been to Bourbon and Beyond? I have not, but I've heard a lot of great well, things. Well, this year is the first year I'm going to Bourbon and Beyond, and I could not be more excited because the world's largest bourbon festival has expanded to three days and moved to the Highland Festival Grounds at the Kentucky Fair and Expo Center. From September 20, 20th through the 22nd, you can hear CCR's John Fogarty, Robert Plant, Holland, Oates, ZZ Top, the Foo Fighters, and more in Here's the best part is that, like, it's the Mississippi State weekend. You know, you're not going to Starkville, okay? Mm-hmm. You can go to Bourbon and Beyond. You can see some of your favorite bands. Two of my favorites are going to be there. You ever you ever hear Zach Brown Band? I've heard of them. Yeah, too. it got a jam or two. Uh, Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. Folks, uh, my One fe- of my favorites is on here Thursday night, Blackberry Smoke. Blackberry Smoke. They get after it. Oh, nice. A little nice. Southern Rock Band. Ooh. They are awesome. And Leon Bridges, too, man. He's got a lot of soul. Yes, he is good. He's, he's really good. So I could not be more excited. Um, so just do the smart thing and join us over at Bourbon and Beyond. Visit bourbonandbeyond.com for tickets. Get them 
right freaking now. And we will see you there. And, you know, maybe one of you are lucky enough to win some tickets if you keep listening to this podcast. Yes. Just saying. That might be uh, something in the near future, folks. We're a podcast for the people. Yes. Nick Roush. We are for the people. And uh, we might have a little something for you coming on down the road to see Bourbon and Beyond. Now, speaking of seeing, I have two eyeballs. And today, these two eyeballs laid eyes on Kentucky football practice with shoulder pads, with pants. It was a, an actual scrimmage at a bucket. How they look, Mr. Rouse. Good. Give us a scoop. Give us the insider information. First things first, folks. Brandon Eccles is the real deal Holyfield. Kentucky has a good cornerback. Six interceptions, 12 pass breakups. I believe he was first-team Juco All-American last year. This was the rap coming out it's pretty good. of junior college. Yeah, and here, here's the thing. We, uh, when we watched that practice back at Media Day where they were just in helmets, we were like, all right, is Lynn Bowden just that good? Can nobody guard him? Like, what's the deal? The dude is always open. A lot of it is Lynn Bowden is that good. But when they go one-on-ones in just straight man, like this is kind of like a warm-up drill for the receivers and cornerbacks. It's just let's match up one-on-one. You know, they, they tried to put him up by position. Jordan Griffin, you know, he's okay. He's got some size on Bowden. But Bowden finds a way to get open and man-to-man. He just does. Eccles is the only person that can guard him. And not only can he guard him in the boat, he can guard every dude on that lineup. And I really wanted to bring up how he guarded Ahmad Wagner because Wagner really like – Has about a foot on him. Yeah, and I was I was impressed with Ahmad Wagner today because he did receiver things that weren't like just jump up and catch. Um, he was really good at blocking when they were in the inside drill and they were running. They ran a little end around a boat because – they thought that he was going to run a fade, and then he broke down and got laid a block on the guy. Um, he was getting open on slants, on posts, on routes where it requires you to break to get open. I was like, okay, Mark Wagner's got this. Well, uh, he, he didn't when Eccles got up on him in press. And even somebody as physical as Ahmad Wagner, Eccles had enough physicality for him. So I'm excited about Brandon Eccles. The biggest thing is just keep the guy healthy. Just keep him on the field as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, that's big news. He's missed a lot of camp, so obviously that's mm-hmm. not something you want. But he was supposed to be that guy that they plugged in there, and then at the other corner spot is where they were going to figure stuff out. Yeah, and the thing is, is like uh, the other spot, remember how we left that first practice? Like, ooh, Cedric Doerr. Mm-hmm. I was like that with Jamari Brown today because he was, he was very physical at the point of attack. Now, were they playing him behind Dort? Or was he on no, the no, other no. side? No, no, no. He was on the other side. Okay. Dora was playing behind Eccles. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a surprise. Yeah. So, and, and I think it's because Brown plays physically. And okay. I was I was talking to uh, – somebody was like, not Eli Brown, but Jamari – because they're both Brown. They both wear 32. Um, both really physical, really long arms. And I just I, – I really liked that Brown didn't shy away from the contact. And I think that's what you need – Speed is great, but physicality, those dudes are big, and they're talented in the SEC, and you need that, especially at that corner. Yeah, that's something that's definitely needed. And Brown was the guy that was kind of not really heavily sought after out of South Florida in that class. So redshirt year, obviously last year, so it's good to see that he's answering the Mm -hmm. challenge. And if he's starting, it's sounding like maybe he's kind of outplaying Dort in camp. Right, and I, I think that might end up being the case. Now, nickel, though. They swim in a little they're, bit. They're going to miss Mike Edwards. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Nickel is the most – nickel and out, outside linebacker, both of those are really tough because 
You're kind of in no man's land. You have to do all three things well. Yes. That, that's that's cover, the, uh, blitz, and defend against the run, hold up against the run. And right now, I think they've got a bunch of dudes who are good at one thing, but they don't have somebody who's great at all three. Right. So, like, Yusuf Corker. Could be a situational type thing. Yeah. Well, So, so right now, Corker is, I think they're starting, like, free. Yeah, um, that's, what, that's what I would – project him because he's he's, he's, was last he's year. a big dude mm-hmm. he's really good on run support not really good at walking up on somebody not ideal for like he he can't cover a slot yeah i just i don't think he can right which was why i think they kind of moved him from corner originally to safety so he could come up and just wet yeah. the pipe and because so he could come up and play downhill whether at safety he was just mm-hmm. probably struggling to cover guys because he was he was he made some plays all right, corner he was struggling. in zone guys. coverage that I was like, okay, all right. You're, he was reacting whenever the ball was in the way when they were trying to run digs and squares and stuff right. like that across the middle of the field. Um, I think he's going to be at his best where he can just kind of scream towards the line of scrimmage, yeah. make a read, and then just go play off instincts. Where he might struggle is what we see if he's you know back in cover three, cover four, mm-hmm. and having to play a zone there. Uh, that could be a learning curve for him yeah. at, at the SEC level. So, but when he, I think he's going to be a guy that is going to flash to a lot of people because when he gets downhill, he's just so big and he's really fast and he's going to come up and really make I think some good big plays in run support. And I, I think on the opposite end, Ty Agent is one that they kind of like from his kind of uh, ball instincts. I think he has the frame of what they like in that. Pull up to play that nickel spot. He's kind of six foot, 187, 190 pounds. Um, kind of bit, got a thicker, thicker lower body. Yeah, oh, he's got to hold up. He's, he's, there. he's got a wide trunk. I think he's got good short area quickness, so that's good if you want to, you know, bring him on a blitz or to, you know, guard a quick slot receiver in a short amount of space. Mm-hmm. I think he probably is the guy that they want there, but I don't know. I don't if know if he's coming. Out. Yeah, I don't know if he's progressing quick enough. And I don't know how much of it's just like, hey, uh, you got to learn by fire, trial by fire. Because they started with Jordan Griffin as the first one up right. at, at, in nickel. Because he is the most experienced. He's a true senior, four-year player. Um, but I also wonder if he's like – like he is the kind of Marcus McWilson type where McWilson always had the athleticism built. He, he kind of went about things the way – like the coaches like the way he carried himself. But getting to that final – getting over the hill was tough for him. Right. And it's because he didn't have that redshirt year. And I think that might be the case of Griffin. But Wilson had – I mean, aside from the one play that we all remember in the Governor's Cup, he had a great – I mean, aside His senior from, year in 2016, he was really good. Yeah, yeah. The, maybe like the first two or three games. It took, But by the end of it, he was really good. So maybe that's the case with Griffin where – he hasn't had a lot of game reps. Once he gets Toledo and Eastern Michigan up under his belt, he can hit a stride. Right. So, And they're going to get tested right out of the shoot because Toledo spread offense. You're going to have to have that nickel out for most of those snaps. And then Eastern Michigan spreads it out and throws it around a little bit. They're going to run a lot of – you know, you're looking at a lot of 10 personnel, four wide receivers, 11 personnel, three wide receivers at pretty much all time. So that nickel spot is going to play a lot of snaps to start the season, and they're really going to be tested – Right out the shoot, which is good. You want you want you want to see what you got there, especially in that first two games before you get into the meat and potatoes of um, the conference schedule. The uh, the one other actually before I move on, I want to see because I'm I'm trying to think of who their other safety was, and it's escaping me right now. It's driving me nuts. Was Mosley out there at all? Who no no Mosley was. Uh, who was the other? 
Let's see here. It's driving me was nuts because I had it, and I, I guess what, I was Moses Douglas? No, but um, – oh, man. It's going to drive me nuts. There's other safety. Let's pull up uh, this old handy-dandy roster we got here. Good thing about Kentucky's athletic site, you can sort by position. Oh. So when you're struggling, like we are a little bit right yeah, now, we're we struggling can go. right now. Because I, I, I didn't think that they just rolled up Griffin into a nickel spot right. from safety. Was but it, did they maybe move in Stanley Garner back there? Mm, Garner's been playing corner and he was dropped back. Mosley, man, I I haven't seen Stoops choose somebody out in a long time like he chewed down, chewed down Mosley. Yeah, I, mean, was, I think they're really wanting him to be good and he's was, probably not there right now. Well, because they they moved him in both spots, so he's probably swimming a little bit trying to figure out which one. But it was Stoops is like, yeah, well, you you covering grass? What are you covering out there? Oh, it was it was so funny watching coaches chew out, especially Eddie Eddie Grant's the funniest to watch chew out players because he doesn't like like he doesn't curse, so he'll say, "Gosh darn it, Almighty!" You know, like he's like everybody's neighborhood grandpa. He is like you know how Walt Kowalski and Grant Torino could curse like. You were like, I've never heard somebody spin a curse word quite like that before. Right. He does that without curse words. It's it's quite impressive. Um, and the thing is, is I only wrote down Corker, Griffin, Dort, and Brown. So, well, I don't know. I mean, it could have been one of the freshmen. You're looking at Geiger, Todd Dotson. No. no. Uh, maybe a walk-on. Maybe Douglas a- did get reps of the twos, and I got it mixed up on my practice report that Dotson was the one who laid the pipe. Square got it mixed up. I took his right. word for it. Square is another – I was thinking about this today – if you're struggling in nickel so bad, if Square is the coverage guy you think he is, you could get away with playing more base mm-hmm. if he can go out and cover some slot receivers or tight ends in the slot. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep an eye on. And he might have the ability, because a lot of people projected him to play safety out of high school, he might have the ability where Kentucky doesn't need to necessarily if he just plays curl play fly. nickel. Yeah. Yes, he may mm-hmm. just have – they can just be like – Hey, cash is better here in pass coverage, or we can put Chris Oltz in there at middle. Yeah, even Jamin Davis is uh, and Jamin, apparently had a really good fall camp. Jamin Davis is going to end up, I think, by the end of the season, being proven to be one of the better reserve inside linebackers in the conference. Six foot four, two hundred twenty-four pounds. I think he can play both spots. I think they, I think he has the potential to be a really good blitzer and. He's kind of waited his time. Redshirt sophomore, it's time for him to make yeah. a name for himself. Yeah, I think, I think that, he's going to be a guy that makes an impact at special teams and in a reserve role. The big thing with Davis is because uh, he, he was really good early, but I think he was one of those that like had to learn like how to be patient and yet still work hard, Right, which is, which is tough for kids. Um, but you know what I think it was? I think I only wrote down those four because they just started off in base and they had Pascal in at Jack mm-hmm. and Jordan Wright in at Sam, which – so I I heard that that that's what happened at the scrimmage, but like it's like that don't sound right. So I I waited to say anything about it, and then today that's where Wright was again. So I, I guess they're to me it's a move. You make the move one because you think maybe Xavier Pierce is going to be cleared. So then that gives you two jacks with him and Pascal, and then you move right to maybe be the hybrid switch in between both. But I think they're also probably trying to save Jared Casey's red shirt. I think they are too. Because and that's the thing with Mo- Douglas too. He's going to be a guy that plays this year, but they're going to be careful in how they use him because they they're going to want to save that red shirt. Well, and I and I think the thing is, so there were four or five true freshmen that were running with the twos: Casey Weaver, Devonshire, and Douglas. And I, I think especially in in Casey and Weaver's case, really talented guys from the city of Louisville, 
But playing outside linebacker. Top two recruits from the class last year. Yeah. Playing an outside linebacker in SEC is much different than 6A public school ball and more high school football. No right. offense to Ballard or more, but the fundamentals require – I mean, it's a lot of just keep your outside and shoulder free wear, and go the, hit the quarterback. The wear and tear, too, every week you're, you're going to take a beating. Because that is the one thing just by watching those guys. that They have done an exceptional job. Like they, they keep everything flushed in, but there's a big difference between that and then – Playing all the other nuances and knowing when to attack and not getting too far upfield, right. things like that. Um, so I, but I think the coaches also know Boogie Watson is one of the better players on the defense. Yeah. He's not going to leave the field much. Right, he's going to be out there a lot. Yeah. And we and we're at the part of camp too where a lot of those dudes aren't playing a lot. Like right. TJ Carter didn't play a lot today. The other guys reps. Yeah, and Lynn Bowden spent more time playing quarterback than he did receiver today. Right, which okay, first and foremost, awesome to see, just from a like. Ooh, well, what if they did do it? I think some of it is like, all right, let's Lynn throw it around. But also, if he gets his timing down, he throws a good deep ball. He's just a second or two late. Right. Like, all of his deep balls are just It's going to be a different five, type of wildcat formation we're going to see this year. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I and what I thought was unique, too, I saw Chris Rodriguez in it, and he was really patient out of it. And so you can still run your Benny type of wildcat with Rodriguez. Yeah, your short yardage stuff. But if you can have a, a dynamic where defenses – like if Bowden's a legit throwing threat, even if it's just once a game, and let's say that's a completion, that's three more yards of room that Bowden has to work with when he's running out of it. Right. That's three more – and three yards is a world of difference for, for that guy compared to, you know, Joe Schmo. So, uh, you know, I think it'd be fun, even though, like, I do have a feel, feeling there was, like, you know what, all this media going to be out here? Let's talk about how much Lim- – let's get them talking about how much Lim Bowden's going to throw it. Get all these defenses that we're about to play prepared for us, and maybe we'll get a – you know, hit a big player or two out of, you know, right. coming out the gate so they have to prepare. That's what it. I'm – I'll be interested to see coming out of the shoot in the first two games how much they kind of use that Wildcat formation. Because you know they're saying – you know, they got to get through Toledo and Eastern Michigan first, and – both those games have some – I think we'll get into it down the line. They have some, like, bumpy areas that Kentucky's going to have to be aware of going into the game. But, you know, that Florida game, that's a big game. Mm-hmm. Chance to win two in a row over Florida in the longest time. Ticket sales, which are going really good right now. They just sold out of pocket passes. It's pretty crazy. They sold out of what, the, the, what was four the three-game game flex, flex pack. Four-game flex pack. So, you can only get season tickets or single-game tickets. Right. Which is pretty crazy. Right. So – that's going to be a crazed atmosphere for that Florida game. And that's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of a kitchen sink game for Kentucky. They're just going to let it, mm-hmm. you know, all hang out. Let, let's see if we can go beat these dudes twice. They're going to be, Florida's going to be top, you know, as long as they don't lose to Miami, they're going to be borderline top five team. Which is Night crazy. game on ESPN. Which is absolutely insane. Yeah, so. It's stupid. People drink And then that. if Kentucky wins that game, then you're kind of setting yourself up the same as last year. But you're going to be more in kind of that national spotlight. More people are going to be kind of taking you serious yep. then, because if a win there kind of says last se- hey last season wasn't a fluke. This team that you're talking about that might be Georgia's stiffest competition. Heck, we just beat them twice in a row. So hey, look at us. So in a lot of ways, that's what I'm interested. So getting back to my original point, it's just how much they. U- I'm interested to see how much they used Bolden in those first two games in that in that gun formation to. Either set something up or save something back. See, because that's the thing. It's like there's on one hand you want teams to be prepared for – like you want to force them to prepare for things. Right. But on the other hand, how much do you want to show? Uh, but it was just kind of like uh, – what was the game last year? They ran the trick play to uh, Zaire Hughes. 
uh, Murray State. Yeah, that was early in the year, and they just wanted to show like a crazy reverse to make the other team prepare for it. Right. So it's that'll be interesting, but yeah, wait till we see. Um, and finally, um, I, I think I hit on all my points I wanted to share from practice, except for Quentin Bohanna. So when they went into inside drill, which inside drill is essentially it's it's a team drill, but it's all focused on running. So you're really just focused on the front seven. They UK does it differently than I'd seen it before, where they only do front seven. Typically, it's just front seven versus front seven. But UK will throw the secondary stuff in there so they can get some screens out of it, just to kind of you know keep people on how to attack the line and wrap up and open. It's just uh, to drill for run fits. Yes. Make sure you're in your for defense. You're in your gaps, and for offense. Make sure, you know, it's assignment football. Make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do inside on those running plays. First and foremost, Quinn Bohanna does not move like a player his size. He's really explosive, really just as fast as the ends out of his stance. Secondly, his ability to (laughs) – when you have an entire offensive line blocking you down and you can take up not only the two guys – the the guy on your left is trying to bog down, but you're he's holding up three guys. He's a Mike linebacker's best friend. Yeah, he was holding up Stenberg, Drake, and Fortner at once. And I mean, you know, they're still finding enough rush lane, but like instead of three and four yards downfield, the linebacker's able to get there at one and two. Bohanna, folks, I hope you enjoyed that feature that Kentucky put out on Sunday. I hope you enjoyed number ninety five this year because I don't think you're going to see him next year. Thing with him is health and durability. He's yeah. had injury issues, so it's getting him on the field. But there, you you mentioned the athleticism. There's a reason he had 91 tackles and 19 sacks in Memphis in his senior year in high school. That's a lot of tackles. He can move. He's a big boy that can move. Mm-hmm. And we just last year, I think he was really set to have a big season, and they got hurt against Florida. Yeah, an ankle injury that he was hampered by all season, and then later in the year, he started to play. Well, had a big yeah. fourth down stop against yeah. Vanderbilt when uh-huh. they were kind of knocking on the door down there in a close ball game, and he's just he's just a guy that can really emerge as one of the better interior defensive linemen in the conference. And like you're right, he's a big year away from really being a yeah. bona fide NFL draft prospect. Yeah. I um, so I, I really like where Bohan is at. One other fun thing that I'm going to write more about later on this week, but I was talking to uh, Calvin Taylor. And I just like Calvin Taylor. Just I, He's a fun person to talk to. He's got a lot of enthusiasm for life. That's all I like him. And Calvin Taylor, all 6'9", 275 pounds of him, he plays nose guard in Kentucky's what he calls it the magic package. So and pass rushing package? I need, yes, and I love that it's called magic package. And I'm, I'm thinking that it's essentially what Josh Pascal when he would come in as a three-down lineman back in his freshman year. Yeah, they used he, him as a three technique. And he murdered – that dude from Southern Miss, right? Out of it, just at, like it was a safety, but on the you know, shovel pass. But they, they, all refs suck at forward progress. If you get tackled in the end zone, like it's it's a safety. It's, I don't that, that drives me crazy. But so in this magic package this year, you've got six nine Calvin Taylor batting down passes at the line of scrimmage. That's basically what they want him for. Right. Like, just maybe get a little pushback in a bull and then throw your hands up. Push the pocket, and if he gets any penetration at all, you've got, just, a, tree, you got a tree right there in front of the quarterback. It's hilarious. Because, like, I mean, that's he's going to get at least four pass deflections this year. I and, see. I mean, it's some of it's – I mean, he, he, that's not going to be – third and long isn't an obvious. They're not going to be in that a ton. 
But even just throwing his side, he's going to get some pass deflections. And a lot of times he's been Kentucky's best run run guy in the middle, defensive line run stuffer. So that's that's something that's I think it's a nice piece. I'd like to see who they have coming off the edge mm-hmm. in those. Is it? Do they put Jordan Wright's hand in the ground, or are they put Boogie they put Pascal, in, a, or, in a track stance? Are they playing Pascal inside? Because I would think that Pascal is ideal for that scenario. What's this new and improved TJ Carter? Yeah. What's he look like as a pass rusher now? You know, that's another. Th- we've heard about him all camp, really. Yeah, I didn't. And I didn't, you see didn't get a bunch to see him today, him today. Yeah. so we're not going to know until Toledo yeah. rolls into town August thirty first. It's going to be exciting. Which, speaking of versatile, explosive pass rushers, Kentucky got one in a recruit today in Trayvon Ribka from Tennessee. Nashville area. He said, hey, Vols, take out your suck it and suck it. <laughs> That's a little KRC humor yeah, there you for like you. Yeah, you like that little KRC humor. Or office humor. Hardly committed humor. Either way, I, I really love that reference. Um, but mostly I really love when uh, somebody from the state of Tennessee, a four-star guy, just turns down the Vols yeah. to come to you know that, the Bluegrass. You know that rubs Phil Fulmer the wrong way. Oh, he's fired up. Now, they got Randall Cobb's nephew, but, like, Kentucky's on the hot for that running That, that rubs him the wrong way and Jeremy Pruitt the wrong way. I think there's a little probably rivalry there between well, Pruitt and Stoops and from Rivka the took Florida him. State yeah, yeah, coordinator days. Pruitt, what did he coordinate? He was the defensive coordinator the year after Stoops left, and they won the title that yeah, year. Yeah, you're won right. Won the title with Stoops' right. players. Yeah, it won the title with Stoops' players. And that got, is a and fact. Got, and got Pruitt a lot, couldn't have done it without Stoops' And got players. a lot of credit for that. Yeah. You know, got him the Georgia job, then got him the Alabama job, and then got him the Tennessee job where Stoops kind of built that defense, left it, yeah. and then just missed, just missed the best control. year. Pruitt just put in Right. Um, the thing I liked about Ripka, though, is that, like, I don't know what he's going to play, but he can play in – like. Three being a down lineman in a three four, those ends are kind of interchangeable. It's just how are you better in a five or? Well, they can they can mix mix up the fronts. I think this year with Taylor and Carter, you're going to play an eagle front, which is the nose, and then two four eyes and two four a four eyes is the inside eye of the tackle yes. where they're going to line up which mostly. Not like that's I think that's like the hardest spot you could play because you can get stuck. With guards pulling at you, yeah, you, you get tackles that can easily block you down because that's your uh, that's their first step. It's it's a you really have to be really strong and you have to be really good at holding your ground and be able to be kind of a two gap player where you can kind of maintain two gaps even with multiple blockers coming at you. Which that's uh, Derek Bronx hashtag two, two gapper. gapper. Yeah, right. Yeah, and this Ribka kid, I think it can be a two gapper. He was rated 18th overall and. Uh, 18th strong side defensive end by rivals, a four-star guy. The day before, Kentucky picked up DeAndre Buford, where Steve Klingscale, he's uh, he's really cashing in in Michigan. I think when, five commits in the last two years from the Great Lakes State. When Kentucky was contemplating, when when they were doing the whole, you got a tenth assistant, keeping Klink. I I, I think there was a decision to be made. Do you keep Klingscale? Do you do you just get rid of him, get another secondary guy? What do you do? And Stoops investing in Queen Scale and saying, okay, I, I like what the work he's putting in on the recruiting front. It's really paid off. It has paid off big time. Yeah. And you look at the guys he's pulled in for Michigan. I mean, it's some big time. McCall was a top 200 prospect. Justin right. Rogers is borderline. Consi- top 15. He's, yeah, yeah. five-star on some and borderline five-star on others. Then you look. 
DeAndre Buford's a four star by a lot of. Not twenty four seven. Yep. And then he got Ern- an alley from Miami. Mm-hmm. And then Ernan, or Ernest Sanders, receiver from Flint, might be my favorite player in this class right now. I loved his highlight tape. Oh. And he's a guy that you know Michigan State run into really bad, yeah. and some other schools wanted. So. Oh, and you didn't mention DeAndre Square. And then DeAndre, I was getting all there. And then DeAndre Square yeah. was. Had LSU offers, had some a lot of other big schools after him. Comes to Kentucky, and now he's set to be, you know, that three-year starter at Will Linebacker. So, not only is he getting players from Michigan, but he's getting guys that are coming down here. The two guys that are down here already and playing, and the other guys are guys that look to be some of the best players in that class. So, he's really making an impact on the trail. Yeah, and so right now, Kentucky, top 25 class. Uh, pretty much consensus, and it's nice. And it's to trending th- to be a top twenty-five class, not just that it's top twenty-five now. It's they're staying power. It has yeah, it has a star power, staying power to come February, come December, when you know the signing days hit. It's going to be in that top twenty-five. So level. of the sixteen commitments, half of them are at least a four-star in one of the services. Pretty good, pretty good, um, and I, I think. Move. Oh, another thing too. Do you notice there's a ton of uh, crystal ball picks for one Michael Drennan, and he's Kentucky doesn't uh, necessarily need more skill players, but when they're like, we're just going to get the best guys we can get. He's he's a Lynn Bowden type good. Well, I mean, he's a guy that Wondell Robinson ish. You can line him up slot Rondell running back Mo- wherever. Yeah. He's he's that prototype player. So he's a guy and especially when you're losing Bowden this year, he's a guy that can come in and make an impact right away. Just yeah. because you get the ball, get him the ball in space and just let him work. Just go do something. Yeah. Right. Go make some moves. Um, well, another thing I wanted to mention from the scrimmage um, aside from the fact that uh, Kavase Smoke uh, ended MJ Devonshire. He canceled him. Said welcome to the SEC freshman. Dropped the Heisman on him. Pew, pew, pew. Pew. Hit him with the hit him with the smoke, pew, as pew. some would say. Ooh, ooh, some would say that. Um, and apparently, it was on his Instagram too, because that that was the thing I got I got really mad at uh, UK about because they wouldn't post the video, like they edited it out of their. Yeah, they had the picture of the aftermath. I think was what they posted. Yeah, but they wouldn't like. Like, come on, dude. Are you quick thing on smoke? We heard he was battling injuries early. He missed, I believe, last scrimmage. Yeah. Well, it's good to see him back and rolling a little bit because he's a guy that's going to be a big part of the offense. I think he's going to get about eight, nine, ten touches a game. So they need him in there, mm-hmm. and they need him to really provide a kind of a big play pop as that kind of hybrid between uh, Rose and Rodriguez. Rodriguez, a smash guy, I guess. Rose kind of does a little bit of both, but you're hoping Smoke can be your kind of game-breaking back, the guy that come in there and give you some explosive plays. Exactly. Um, and so I, I I enjoyed that just from the fact, too, that I like the uh, – I just enjoy the kind of welcome to the SEC moments. Oh, God, that is nasty. UK, put it on Instagram. Put it on Twitter, UK. More people see it there. When you get 3,000 likes, you get just as many, if not more, on Twitter. Man, just brutal. Um, the other thing I like, though, is I can see Terry Wilson going through his reads. And you just didn't get that last year. He was a one-read quarterback last year. Maybe two. By design. Yeah. This year, he's getting to his fourth option at running back, and it's working. Whether it's we third. Heard running backs yeah. are going to be the checkdowns. I mean, and just from a, like, it's third and five, and I can trust A.J. Rose to get the, take this for a first down. And then – 
and this was probably the defense messing up, but the longest touchdown of the day was coverage breaks down, give it to Upshaw. Boom, wide open and third read, wide open. Twelve personnel, something Which we're going to see a lot of. We're going to see a lot of. And you know what? Like it, I really like it in the run game because I just love seeing people pulling across the line of scrimmage. And even though it's not technically like that, it looks like a counter motion when you've got the Upshaw because he he's been the kind of H back with Riggs had his hand in the dirt. Right. And essentially, you get everybody blocking down one way, and then he acts as the lead block on the other side of the line. Right. And I think you just, as Rose said, he's like, I just, I was talking today, he's like, yeah, I get more one-on-one chances with guys, and if I can just make him miss, boom, off to the race. One of their staple run plays is that split zone where you have the backside tight end or backside H-back goes back the other way while everybody blocks right. He comes and kicks out the the end on the other side of the line scrimmage, and it's, mm-hmm. it creates kind of an alley there for your running back. I love that play. And so that means that's something play. they ran a lot, and I think it's something – Obviously, it's one of their staple plays, but it's something they're going to run a lot this year too. And, and, and oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's just it's because it's a playoff of that inside zone because it gives you kind of a little cutback opportunity. Exactly, and, and they don't have to take it too. The right. zone, the front side might be wide open right. in general. And I was watching them actually do their drill where Graham lost his mind. That's when he was saying, "Friggity gosh, darn it, Almighty!" Um, mm-hmm. Like uh, Flanders from The Simpsons, because one of their drills is they have. You know, uh, garbage cans set up, and Grant is just calling out where the read is, where the hole is, and they've got to like react right, right away. There, they got to read it and go. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's like or process it in their mind and then hit it. You can see it. I posted a video. It's like three minutes, and it's a bunch of ten-second clips from individual drills, and like it, you might not get it right away, but like some of them are really cool. Like the one they do for field goal block, it's just cool. Because you just don't see stuff like that. Um, uh, from the tackling drills to the just going out of the shoots. The running back was one that was interesting that I hadn't seen before, though. That just and It took me a while to pick up on it as well. But that's how they that translates directly over into the game. And to go back to 12 personnel, I just like that. The options they give you from a... The two guys on the outside. Because you'll have Bowden off the line... They typically have Ali on the same side as the tights. And Ali, he made some good plays going deep today. And when things go wrong, you can have Upshaw across the middle of the field and throw it up to him. They're big, easy targets to find. They didn't have their best day today. I thought Vince Merrill was going to blow a gasket at a point or two. But, you know, it is one day in August. Yeah, what are you going to do? But I heard Merrill kind of lost his stuff today. Rig dropped a pass, maybe? Yeah, Riggs dropped a pass, and he just – oh, he was going to just crush him. He was going to, like, rip his arms off. It was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not a guy you want mad at you, I would imagine. Oh, and I think a lot of it is, too, is because most coaches are hesitant to build him up. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he's been building you up and you don't live up to the hype, Oh, man, he'll dog your ass. And then he dogged Upshaw for not running, which I think that's his biggest thing. And you know what they're going to do? There's going to come a game where Upshaw is going to get put on the bench for Bates for a while because Upshaw isn't running hard enough. Right. And that's just a – I've been told I've done good you things. You never want to have to coach effort. Yeah, and I, and I think it's mostly just from a – he's been hurt all the time, and so he. I think the thought is I'm going to come in and crush it. Well, you, you got to – Put a little sauce on there, too. There's going to there's be a, ooh, I can't just, there's no walk in the park against Toledo. 
Mm-hmm. Even though I'm sure he'll want to crush them. Toledo's only like 30 miles from Lima, from my understanding. Probably going to be a lot of guys he played high school ball against. Exactly. A lot of guys. Yes, a lot of them. A lot of them. Okay. Enough of that. We've talked a lot of practice. Um, what's briefly. Do you want to touch Scalzo's injury at all? No. I mean, thoughts and prayers, but right. Scalzo wasn't going to play. Right. He was redshirting. It just sucks. Same same knee, right? Yeah, same knee, same injury, non-contact. Mm-hmm. It just sucks. And that, this it's a big development year, though, for those quarterbacks. So, it gives Gilmore kind of a heads up, heads up you know, yeah. or a, a leg head start, up. we should say. Leg up. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we combine them up, both at the time. But, it's yeah. been a long day. Uh, Stinks for him, but yeah. The one the one thing I did like is I did see Scalzo leaving earlier, and he was like, you know, at least I know what to do. Like, I've been through this before, mm-hmm. so uh, kid's got a good attitude. Well, and was Merrill getting ahead of himself on Devonshire? No. Because um, I know Stoots hammered on the brakes. Stoots about is that. just – he just he just hates that so much. Yeah, they're the opposite ends of the spectrum yeah, on that, exactly. I feel like. That's why he needs Vince because he needs a hype man because Stoops is not a hype man. And Devonshire, he's running with the twos, and he's not going to redshirt this year. I'm almost certain he won't. Cause he's most likely most, you're, he's, he's your starting kick returner. Yeah, or, yeah, and that your sixth defensive because back. Because when you need somebody to cover a slot, I trust him more than anybody right now. From right. You can't coach speed. And he's, he's going to be it. on every special team. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah. I mean, he had like three punt return for touchdowns last year. He had some pretty crazy stats. I think six. He had six interceptions, and then he had all kinds of touchdowns on offense just from big plays. Yeah, but he had a couple special teams ones, too. Right, that sounds right. Oh. Trenches. We're trying to preview each position. And essentially, we've, we've talked at length about the defensive line. The offensive line. We, we mentioned the defensive line a lot today. Cordell Looney was the one who got T.J. Carter's reps, by the way. That's what I figured. He's not a guy we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Really, the bench guys, we talked about him, McCall and Hoskins, but Looney's going to play a big role, and he's going to play a lot because he's going to be – they're six deep, really, on the defensive line, and he's that sixth guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one, one thing that I like that LeBlanc said uh, in one of the conversations I've had with him over training camp, he's like, you know, we're, we have the luxury of yeah, starters, put all that stuff aside. Whoever's on the field's a one. Right. So they're, Six starters, pretty much. Exactly. They're going to be rotating a lot of guys. And keeping up with it, if you can do that, God bless you. I'm not going to be able to. There's too much happening on there. But I'm really confident that defense line. I'm really confident in the offense line, too. Logan Stenberg is a tackle at a lot of places, and he's playing guard. Mm-hmm. Those boys are going to be good. Fortner will be unproven, but Kennard going to be great. Um Mason Wolf and Wilson, I think they're both fighting to be who's going to be the eighth man. Yeah, who's going to be that guard that gets to rotate in? Um, because you know Nasir Watkins is going to be that tackle that rotates in. And um, I'm trying to think of who's who's the other one. Who's the other guy? I'm leaving off that'll be in the rotation. Probably Austin, maybe Austin Dotson. Yeah, yeah, I think you got Dotson and Dorsey. They're kind of fighting for a guard spot at tackle. You've got Watkins, Nick Lewis, who I don't think probably ready. He's yet. big as hell. Yeah, I think you're He's this, enormous. Darian Kennard, Landon Young, and then Nasir Watkins are kind of going to be your tackles this, this yeah. year. And then you can kind of mix up some three, and then uh, between Wolf, Wilson, and maybe Dawson. I think Eddie Grant talked about the eight. I believe today. Yeah. I think the eight is pretty much your starting five: Landon Young from left to right, Landon Young, Logan Stenberg, Drake Jackson, Luke Fortner. Darren Kennard. Darren Kennard. And then off the bench, your tackle, Nasir swing Watkins. tackle. Nasir yeah. Watkins is going to play both. Yep. And then your primary backup at guard, I think, is Mason Wolf. Yep. And then I think they're going to try to mix in Quentin Wilson there. The ninth is 
I think probably if I had to guess, it's down to maybe Horsey and Dotson. Yeah, yeah. But all in all, but they, I'm not. They I'm, got seven that they know they yeah. feel that have played before and they feel good about. And then Wilson or Quentin Wilson's getting some hype this camp, so he yeah. he could turn into that eighth guy, a redshirt freshman. This year, Kentucky's offensive line very stout. Moving forward, they could lose. Aside from Drake, I mean, you could lose your whole left side of the line, and then Kennard's got to bounce back left. Then you got Watkins, so they could they, there could be some significant rebuilding next year, right? But they do have things at least staggered out, which is out why it's decently. important to develop that depth because if you get Quentin Wilson and Kenneth Horsey or Austin Dotson some reps this year, it helps out for next season. Yes, exactly. And then Nasir Watkins can kind of step into a attack. That's if Landon Young leaves, he might come back. Yeah, yeah. No, so then you might be good. then you could be loaded to tackle next year. Yes, three guys, yes. three really. Got guys with three, you know, solid playing time under the belt. Three guys, and then you kind of bring those guards along, and then and then you still got your big guy in the middle, and then everything's kind of set still for next year. But the offensive line, they just they've kind of dominated this camp. It sounds like they've been nothing good. but good things. I mm-hmm. think they're they're really good. I think it's easily the best offensive line on paper Stoops has had to this point, and now it's seeming seeming like they have some depth to go with it, and it's a group that they're really going to lean on. I think it's the best positional group on the team. So, Ooh, best positional group on the team? Yeah. Pretty bold statement. Who are you taking over the offensive line? Maybe the defensive line. No, I don't think so. Oh, man. When you look at – now, are you – you look at Drake Jackson. I'm, I'm thinking of just – Darian Kennard. I'm thinking of depth across. I think defensive line might happen. It, but his first top-end talent. Let me ask you this. Stenberg and Young and Jackson are – Would it surprise you if Stenberg, Landon Young, Drake Jackson, or Darian Kennard made an all-SEC team? No. no That's four no. guys. On defense, I think we can – Get ourselves a Bohanna there. I think maybe we can talk ourselves into Carter, but that's probably about it. I could maybe see myself. I, I'm I'm all now, in. I think you can. I think you can argue depth. Maybe that defensive line has because they're legit too deep at every spot. Yeah. That's probably why I've got so much confidence in them, and because they they need to be really good. Right. And and also in a but lot I think of, they I think that offensive line has four draft picks playing on it right now. Boom. Landon Young, Drake Jackson, Logan Stenberg, Darren Kennard. Yeah. Kennard's going to be really good. He probably won't make an all-SEC team this year, but he's, he's – Like, good. he's going to be up there. Next he, year when we go to media days, he's going to be a guy that I think people are talking about picks. in the mix. And, and I he's going to be a guy that I get on this podcast next year and say it's ridiculous that Darian Kennard's not on one of these all-SEC teams. You're exactly right. Exactly right. But we'll save that for next year. Yes, we'll save that for next year. Because um, you know what? we got to talk some gambling. Like it. Let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. Um, Over-under week, it's happening. We're talking overs. We're talking unders. We pick some lines. So here's the thing, like it. I, I told you yesterday, let's each try to pick four or five that we like. And I'm not going to lie. There's some that I really like, and there are some that I just I thought they were interesting. So I, I got let's them. Throw them out, let's throw them out there. So first one that I'm like, dude, how is this their I, I don't understand how this is the line, but Northwestern's is at six and a half. Northwestern is six and a half. They haven't won. They've won at least seven games in each of the last four years. They had a ten-win season two years ago. Mm-hmm. Their quarterback is Hunter Johnson. It's a Clemson transfer, five, five star, star from Indiana. Yeah, dude is a freaking stud, and they're in the Big Ten West. 
Big okay. Big Ten West is a lot of cannibalism going on there because all the teams are kind of the same. Oh, they're all like seven, eight win teams. Right. Like completely across the board. Nebraska, Purdue. So uh, it comes down to the close Minnesota, games. Minnesota. All of them, it's going to come down to who's going to win close games. And here's why Northwestern is a good bet more times than not <coughs> in a situation like this. Usually in one-possession games, if you're around 55 56%, it's like gambling. If you're in the 56 57% spot, you're winning money. Well, Pat Fitzgerald in nine years, he's like 62 or 63% in one-possession yeah. games. Now, the only thing I do worry is that their cross game is they host Ohio State they, this year. On a Friday night and in they, October. And they, they open the season at Palo Alto playing Stanford. Yeah. That's, but aside from that, I just I, – Here's the thing, like it, I will freely admit, I'm one of those gamblers who, I, I I don't bet big, and I get teams that I like to bet on because they always play it close to the line, good or for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And Purdue, for selfish reasons, because I got family there and I just like paying attention to them. And Northwestern are just, they're either going to crush the line or they're going to be like, oh God, what are you doing? And I like the over. With Northwestern. I do not like it with Purdue, though. Purdue's at seven, and that's untouched. Yeah. You cannot you, touch that line. You feel good about Northwestern at bare minimum just getting the seven to five. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I I think that's perfectly acceptable. Purdue, though, like, I think Purdue, this is Jeff's best team because they got Sindelar back. Milton Wright is going to be really good. I know that, like – They just lost their running back. Broken jaw in practice the other mm, day. Brutal. But I really do um, enjoy – like, like they've got a good defensive line. Their defense kind of dipped down last year, but I think it's going to take a step back up this season. The reason why I can't like the seven, like I think it's just purely untouchable, is because they're non-conference. Mm-hmm. They play, I think, nine Power Five teams. They open at Nevada, which is in elevation on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. They play eleven Power Five teams total. Eleven, sorry, yeah. Because <laughs> the Big Ten has nine conference games, and then they're playing Vanderbilt and TCU. Now they get both of them at home. Yeah, and TCU kind of. TCU's kind of they're weird down up they, yeah they're yeah. trending that this is supposed to be their up year but they got and that's the team I like who I was talking to my friend about it the other day about a season total I believe he wanted to play over seven and a half and I was like I really like that with TCU but I couldn't pull the trigger because they got major quarterback issues they yeah they had like a five team quarterback competition oh I I was listening to uh what's our coach's name uh Patterson, he was on Big 12 Media Day, and mm-hmm. I'm just listening on my XM Saturday trial. And he literally like said with a straight face, all five quarterbacks have an equal chance. Like, And right. I'm like, dude, are you freaking kidding me, but Gary Patterson? They also play against Vanderbilt, who they have three NFL players on offense. Keyshawn right. Vaughn, Jared Pickney. But they get Vanderbilt the week after they're probably going to get beat up by Georgia. So that's probably a good spot to play them. Ooh, can we briefly mention, too, I, I like that we're just diving right down rabbit holes. Because freaking Vanderbilt, what the hell is Derek Mason doing with his quarterbacks? He's just like, you know what? Screw it, Georgia. We're not going to tell you who, who's going to be our guy. Because he doesn't know who his guy's <laughs> going to be. I love. I really. I swear to God, if they just had Kyle Shermer for one more year, could they not get like a gray shirt or something or like anything? If they just could keep him one more year, I've been would talking be good. about that Vanderbilt offense all off season, really, and I love it everywhere but quarterback. <laughs> it's so bad. It is so it, it, bad. There's a scenario where it could just get ugly, where the guy can't get Kalaja Lipscomb and Jerry Pinkney the ball. Keyshawn Vaughn, as much as I love him, is kind of injury prone, where he could get banged because they yeah. they play L, or Georgia. 
Purdue. They have a bye third week of the season, and then LSU comes into town, and they're going to drink all the beer out of Vanderbilt Stadium. <laughs> it's going to be a party in Nashville, and they're going to get Man. they're going to get beat up in that game too. You want to talk about a fun random road trip? LSU at Vanderbilt yeah. in Nashville with all those LSU fans. That beer isn't going to last until the second quarter. <laughs> You oh, talk man. about that strip right there. Uh, what's it called? Midtown or whatever. Demumbrian. Yeah, Demumbrian. Yeah. I mean, that's just going to be all purple and gold. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you have uh, to get back to our totals? Do you have? Do you have any you'd like to share? Yeah, my first one is Wake Forest. Totals five and a half. I think Dave Clawson is one of the better coaches in in the ACC. They're coming off a year where they they had to replace a quarterback who. Uh, this name is escaping me at the moment. I can't believe I'm forgetting this kid's name. Oh, it's Wolford. John Wolford really kind of tore it up in 2017, and they kind of had a rocky start, but they, they recovered late. They run tempo on offense, and they just – I think he Dave Clawson does some really good things. So he's coming off three consecutive bowl appearances, seven at least seven wins in each, each season at Wake Forest, which is, you know, pretty daggone impressive. And – you look at their non-conference, I think Utah State's a good team, but I think they're going to beat them at home. Rice is terrible. Here's something that not a lot of people know. Wake Forest got so mad at the ACC scheduling eight games that they're playing North Carolina in a non-conference game. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again? They are playing. They scheduled North Carolina. North Carolina and them are playing, I believe, at Wake Forest this year and Chapel Hill next year, but it's going to be a non-conference game. But it's they're in the same conference. Right, but they want to play – North Carolina, they are they are because they're in different divisions. And the ACC refuses to just expand it to a, a, a nine. They were, the ACC just told them, "Hey, this is how we're scheduling. So if you want to, if you want to play, play each other, you're going to play a non-conference." Up. That's crazy. Yeah, could you imagine if Kentucky played? I don't know. Uh, well, well, I don't think it would work for Kentucky if Auburn was like, "Hey, we want to play Florida because we don't get to play Florida a lot, and there's kind of a rivalry there. Let's just play a non-conference game in September." That's kind of. What it's like. So they're going to play North Carolina non-conference game. North Carolina's rebuilding, and then they have the FCS game. I could see them going – if they get three wins in the non-conference, they're going to hit this. Four, I could see it happen. Then you look at their schedule. Louisville's a win at home. They get NC State rebuilding at home, Duke at home. I just see – I see potentially eight, nine wins if everything goes right. So I think they're going to get to at least six. So that's – when I pick up these over-unders, I go through the schedule and say, how many wins do I see? And then if I have a – there's a game gap between it. I, so I give myself a cushion. So if they lose one, I don't expect them to. Oh, they lose one, I expect them to win. I can still fall back, and that, this is one with Lake Forest where I can easily see them going eight and four. The the thing that I find just fascinating about over unders in general is that it is to see where Vegas sets it compared to expectations elsewhere, like because they're trying to find a, a, a median line because you want action on both sides. And the one line that really I, I was interested to see, because we've talked about it a lot on here, is South Carolina from a – they've got a crazy schedule, but they've got a pretty good uh, defensive front seven, you know. And that Jake Bentley's a fourth-year starter. The yeah, All advanced Brian metrics. Brian Edwards, are, NFL receiver. Yeah. So, like, in, in all of your advanced analytics say that they're projected six wins. So, Vegas puts them at – but Vegas only puts them at five and a half. SEC media predicts them to finish like third or fourth in the East. Fourth, I think. Two yeah, spots ahead of Kentucky. Yeah, it's yeah. four. So, five Tennessee, so six So pretty Kentucky. much the numbers people 
are much less bullish on everybody else as far as expectations. And the thing is, is like, he really can't, like, if they, that North Carolina game will make or break their season. It's a big game. It's a huge game. And it's kind of, they're going to be going kind of a rivalry, or not a rivalry, it's kind of recruiting bragging rights game too. Because they're going to be butting heads with Mac Brown and North Carolina a lot now on the recruiting trail. And the Carolinas going down into Georgia for like those borderline three-star, four-star type recruits in the South. So that's a big game. And then if you get that one, I think you feel pretty good about getting to six. But yeah. you do you like that under? Are you just playing that? There's the schedule's so loaded that they're just gonna kind of be beaten down, and they're gonna see to, they're sitting at five and seven. I am like I, I really want to play the under two just because like I love to just bash South yeah. Carolina. <laughs> um, but there's also a part of it that like Will Muschamp is the kind of guy to lose a team pretty quickly. Now they, they rallied two years ago and they won a bunch of games at the end of the year, but I mean. At Florida, that's exactly what happened. It got away with him in a hurry. And it, like, real, they lose the Louisville and the Sugar Bowl. I mean, that was a good Florida team that year. They were in the SEC. They were a couple plays away from being Defense the, was awesome. They were, they were really close to winning the SEC championship, and I think that was a college football playoff year. Was it? That was the year or two before. I think it was 2012, and the playoff started at 2014. So if they, if they win that game, though, they had a shot to go to the BCS yeah, I mean, championship it, game. They ended up not winning the East, but it came down to that Georgia game, and they lost about like four points in the cocktail party. But, I mean, it was a team that they beat Johnny Manziel in his Heisman season. Yeah. They were a really good football team that year. On the road. And then everything just completely fell apart the following year. And and I I think that can happen when you don't have a lot of depth and you're playing just an absolutely brutal schedule. And that's what they're facing this year. Here's my thing with Muschamp. I think he does his best coaching kind of as that underdog. And this year they're gonna. Everybody's talking. Yeah. That this is kind of your year. Yeah. So you kind of. That's bat, why I'm rally gonna, the troops. I'm gonna, down the hatches. That's why this is a, probably a, a good line for Vegas to stay away from. Like right. I, I feel like because at six, e- even at six, like I don't see. I think it's very easy. You could talk yourself South Carolina in seven. Beat Carolina, Charleston Southern, lose to Bama. They kind of own Missouri. Uh, they. I don't think most champ has lost two. Missouri since being there. You're due against Kentucky. Uh, Georgia's a loss. Florida, who knows? Te- Muschamp still hasn't lost to Tennessee when you combine his Florida and South Carolina careers. <laughs> and then you get App State later in Vanderbilt in November, those two back-to-back at home in November. So if you get – you know, if those kind of fall your way, you could get to seven, and then you're looking at a potential Music City Bowl. Now, I, they've got – now, this is the best roster he's had at South Carolina, but – we don't know the culture really of that locker room. Like what happens if, if you know, they get the Alabama hangover and they have to follow that Alabama trip up to Missouri, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, yeah. all in a row, Vanderbilt, Appalachia State. We just, we just don't know. So uh, that's something I think I'm not going to play it. If I had to play it, I'd play the over, but I could go either way. You could talk me into either side. I know. That's why it's tough. And I, so I, I want you to give me one that you like. And then I'm going to give you a couple quick hitters and just to see right. what your thoughts are. Because I found some that I think are really intriguing that I just – I don't know. I, I'm like, ooh, this is this is right up my alley. Um, and then we're going to end with some of the local teams. So which one? Which ones do you like? Out in Los Angeles, Clay Helton is on about the hottest seat you can get on. Ooh, Urban tried, Meyer literally moved out there. He tried to hire Cliff Kingsbury, hired him, and then the Arizona Cardinals decided <laughs> they want him as a head coach. So he loses Cliff Kingsbury. 
hires a guy by the name of Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell, for those who remember, was the guy who threw that ball to Crabtree yeah, to beat he, Texas. Yeah, he was the guy. And Crabtree <laughs> made the play. But that was it. Graham Harrell was the guy who threw the ball. Yeah. So Graham Harrell was, you know, one of Mike Leach's better quarterbacks at Texas Tech, has a cup of coffee in the NFL, and then quickly rises up the coaching ladder. It was at North Texas the last couple of seasons. Had a really good offense there. It's pretty much the closest thing kind of to Mike Leach's offense, which is just spread it out and it's dink and dunk, and they don't go super fast, but – they just want to spread you out and just Use slice you up with accuracy in the yeah. passing game. Yeah. So that's what he's going to be running at USC. And USC has dudes all over the roster. Now, I know they went 5-7 and seven last year, and Clay Helton is this popular kind of lightning rod that, hey, fire him, Urban Meyer is going to be the next coach, and that's all anybody wants to talk about. But the total is seven here. It's arguably the most talented team in that conference, especially in that division. It's a team that lost a lot of close games last year. So if you fix that offense, you could get some bounces your way. And I just don't I, – I, I like to – I could see Clay Helton getting fired and I'm still going eight and four. Mm-hmm. So it's – I'm, I'm playing the talent. I'm betting on that air raid offense more than anything. That, mm-hmm. that's, that that's going to fix a lot of their issues, just being competent on offense. Because from a talent standpoint, outside of when Leach was at Oklahoma, these are going to be the best players that have ran this scheme that Graham Harrell's installing out there. So it's a team that I think can win that division pretty – that could win that division. You know, I know Utah's a trendy pick for a lot. I could see this team getting to the Pac-12 championship game and pushing for double-digit wins. And who knows, maybe even sla- saving Clay Helton's job or could it be like, no, we just want a new start even with a 9-3 and three type season. What What is the line on that one? Seven. Seven, yeah. And you're also betting against the Pac- rest of the Pac-12 being good. Right. Which is pretty – you know, that's a pretty safe bet. Um one other one that I think is – I've looked at it and I kind of laughed a little bit. Nebraska's at eight and a half. How – the, what are the Cornhuskers been huffing over there? Nine wins? Are you kidding me? Well, I think a lot of it – Scott Frost, his second year at UCF, they ran the table. Well, yeah. That, that, okay. And then – That's the American. I think that's – This is the Big Ten. I, I hear you loud and clear. I think that's – a lot of people kind of got that Scott Frost fever. Yeah. Well, I will gladly accept – and then a lot of people are buying into Adrian Martinez, who, who Butch hurt. Jones had at Tennessee, who would be quarterback at Tennessee right now if Butch Jones was still the coach there. <sighs> he could have been a champion of life. Yep. Well, uh, real shame. He, you I know think what? it worked out pretty well for he, Adrian Martinez. Yeah, he run, he, he's much more mobile than uh, Jared Garantano. Mm-hmm. I also think Florida at nine, like, and this isn't like a – but if they trip up against Kentucky, I mean, they're going to lose at LSU. Um, they're not beating Georgia. so That's two. Yeah, so they just got to lose another one. You're at least pushing. And then, and they got to go to South Carolina and to Kentucky and to Missouri. Yeah, uh, yes. So you and also think they're going to lose I, at least one of those. I, I think the thing that – And just, Auburn at home is a tough draw out of the West. I think what bugs me the most about the Florida hype is that it's purely predicated on how they finish the season and they beat a Michigan team that didn't have their best players playing. We did the same thing with South Carolina last year after they beat Michigan. Exactly. It's the same exact thing. It's the post-I beat Michigan in a bowl game hype. And, like, thinking that Felipe Franks is an elite quarterback. And he's just not. He's a fine quarterback. Now, their receivers, I forgot that Kadarius – I thought Kadarius Tony went pro. Dude's good. They got some They got some intriguing skill talent. Yeah, but – Running back, I like their running back. I think they got three really good running backs. You know, Fan Jefferson, Ole Miss transfer, Trayvon Grimes, Ohio State transfer. Yeah, Jefferson wasn't as good as I thought he'd be last year, but still. And then good. you got Tony, you kind of move around, blind in the slot. So they've got the weapons for Franks where he can just kind of be a distributor. Yeah, but, but they've I, got offensive line questions. I still think that there's 
Like, they should have lost to Vanderbilt last year. You know, like, there, there's a lot of – they kind of got some dumb luck last year. And right. I, think, I mean, Kentucky and Missouri both kind of beat them up at the Swamp mm-hmm. last year. All right. So, I want to go some quick hitters that I'm inter- – Georgia Tech's only at four. Is it, jo- uh, Well, they're going option to modern-day football. So, is, is that the – because I know they're making out like gangbusters and they're recruiting trail now, but I'm just assuming that they don't have the personnel. Yeah, yeah they're ripping it down to the studs. I think everybody's expecting for them to be one of the worst Power 5 teams, not okay. named Rutgers right. this season. So that was my good question. Also, I think it would be fun to just uh, bet Rutgers under two and a half. <laughs> just for the thrill of <laughs> Just it. for the thrill of like cheering for Rutgers yeah. to lose Rutgers every single gonna, game. Rutgers is going to have a new football coach next season. Yeah, His name rhymes with Brig Fuiano. Oh, keep chopping wood. We're going to bring back the wood chopper. Yeah, bringing him back. Ooh, I thought you were going to say his name rhymes with uh, Jet. Maybe he'll bring in Bobby Petrino as his offensive coordinator. <laughs> I was thinking his name would rhyme with Tet Gilema. Uh, oh, that'd be fun. Brett Bielema in New Jersey? Sign <laughs> me up right now, brother. Um, the one that I thought you would be a big fan of is Auburn over seven and a half because kind of, they, they ebb and flow too. Yeah, and they're, I feel like on, this is they're their, on the ebb. Now with Bo Nix is officially in. I your do boy like Bo? My, Bo? my Bo? My boy Bo. Hey, Bo knows. So I, I think going over on seven and a half might not be a bad idea. Because, I, I mean, they, they – But they could be a top 20 team and still go seven and five with that true. schedule. That's true. Uh, Cincinnati, how is their line only seven and a half? Do they just lose every single player? Or am no, I, it's actually the opposite. They, they bring everybody gotten, back. And they've got all these grad transfers in. They won 11 games last year. Now, granted, one of those was a bowl game. But still, like – yeah, I, I don't. I, I saw that and just I don't understand. Now that they have UCLA and Ohio State in the non-conference, so if they lose that opener to UCLA, that's two losses. So then, if you go five and three in conference, it's an under. So that's that's the big thing to watch Still, out for. I, they got they have to go to Memphis. They get UCF at home, but their conference schedule is a little tricky. I think they got to go you to Memphis to Houston. But yeah, if you're a believer in Fickle and that talent he's got there, I mean, that's a play. The the grad they they become grad transfer you too, if you haven't noticed. We talked about it a lot on the grad transfer market. Still haven't heard anything on Xavier Peters, by the way. Still waiting. Yep, still waiting. Um, okay. Do you like any others that you'd like to share with the, the Yeah, NC State last two years has been kind of their their little window there. It's seven and a half. I know the ACC is down, especially in that division outside of that's why there's an opportunity for Clemson. them. But they have to go to Florida State, and let me pull up their schedule. They have to go to West Virginia, I believe. West Virginia has only a five-win total. Austin Kendall yeah. was just named their starter, and it, I think that guy could sling it around a little bit. I know West Virginia isn't that great, but Neil Brown, Austin Kendall, right. sign me up. Syracuse is going to be a tough one at home at Boston College, at Wake Forest. I think they could both be underdogs in. They get Georgia Tech out of the other division, which is good, and North Carolina out of the other division, which is a rivalry. But I just I, I have a hard time seeing that team winning more than seven games just because of it's kind of the just lower down, throttle mm-hmm. down, and then they kind of build off what they do this year and then kind of make another run. Dave Doran, very uh, – I feel like that team is always in like a, ooh, they could be so good, and that's, they're just not. A lot of that's NC State as a program. They've always <laughs> been kind of just – they have – it's like they, they have a big ceiling, but they have a, a roof that they just can't plow through. They just keep hitting their head. A glass ceiling? Yeah, glass ceiling. They're hitting their head on the glass ceiling. The, the wolf pack. Just embrace feminism, NC State. One day you'll make it. But it's a, it's a program that's always kind of – you feel like they're always in that 7, 8, 9 window. can yeah. never you know, break through and have that 
kind of season like Kentucky had last year, where you get ten wins, you get, you know, you get some really big, big knockout wins for your program and kind of grow. They've kind they've gotten close with Doran, but they just haven't really gotten there yet. Okay. Uh, any others you'd like to go over? I, I would like to say Louisville um, betting under three and a half very tempting for U of L. Right. It all comes to me in that Louisville one. Do you think it comes down to two things? Do you think they're going to beat what WKU in Nashville or not? If you think that that they have a really good shot to lose that game, it's an automatic kind of under pull for you. I think they're probably going to win it though. Yeah, and then it comes down. And then they can have they, to upset like uh, can they Boston beat Boston College, College at home? Yeah. Because me, that's the one. Because it's early in the season. If you don't get that one, the schedule gets kind of rough right there. You you have a couple road trips after that, and then it's kind of like. Well, let's just play the young guys and see where we get. And then you got Clemson there at the end of October to beat you up. And then you go into November. Because the thing is that made Louisville so bad last year is they couldn't block and tackle. And I think, like, they may not get much better at blocking, but those guys got a lot of experience. And I think they're going to get better at tackling just because they're going to be better coached and they're going to give up. Yeah. So that's where it, it does make it tempting. And there's going to be some sort of bounce back effect. But mm-hmm. they're not getting more than five wins max yeah. this year for Louisville. Right. And I still don't think For it's me, happening. it all comes down to that Boston College game on October 5th at home. That the, the fans will still be somewhat engaged especially if they beat WKU and are competitive in Tallahassee. So you come home for a Boston College team that Louisville sees themselves as a superior program. Mm-hmm. So Even though A.J. Dillon has been just slamming dudes under the ground at, right. at the Cardinal Stadium because for if you, years. Because if you lose that one, then you're at Wake Forest, Clemson at home, Virginia at home, who's going to be really good, at Miami, at NC State. So you could just go through a – you know, they'll go through a gauntlet where you're getting thumped, and then all you by the time you know you're sitting at like two and eight, and you got two games left. You know what's probably the lock of the century, though? What's that? Kentucky over six and a half wins. I like this over there, man. And you know what the thing is? Is like this really isn't just um, us. This is like the consensus of Kirk Gam- Herbstreit's on it. Herbstreit, Steve, my guy Tom Fernelli, Felica, Fernelli. Pretty much every gambling person that I trust. Is on it now. I haven't seen Kentucky. What's Kentucky's uh, S and P plus this year? It's like thirty, like thirty-seven, I think. So it's. But did they have their projected win total though? Like I haven't. It's around six. Yeah, but oh, that's the only thing that I trust with my gambling that doesn't like Kentucky because the biggest part is is that you mentioned the teams that like they can slip up and still. Get to seven, right? It's the same Kentucky, Kentucky can lose to Toledo or Eastern Michigan, and I know everybody here is going to be pissed off about it, but they can still win their last five games. Well, if you just assume that they take care of business in the non-conference, that leaves three wins. Yeah, and you got to beat Arkansas. Arkansas is going to be one of the worst teams in the SEC. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is a really bad quarterback situation from being down there in the bottom of the yeah. SEC. So you get those two. That's then you just got to beat Mississippi State. You have to win one of the Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri, Tennessee. You have to just win one of those. Yeah, that's you're there at seven. Yeah. So, and you know what? If they don't get to seven, I'll be really disappointed because I think six is six is everything went bad. I don't even see a scenario where they only win five games this year because they're that good up front and blocking and tackling wins in the SEC. They're going to be able to do. They're going to be able to run the football. So, and it's a total that you. You won't find out if you lose in September, but you can find out if you win in September. Because if they just win one of those Mississippi State, Florida, South Carolina games, as soon as they, if they get just one of those, you yeah. know, right then you're going over. And, and you know what? I think they can get all three. What's weird is they're they're traditionally much worse at playing at Starkville, but I think it's a lot easier team to beat Mississippi State. 
They haven't. They've played horribly. And there recently. I love that matchup for Kentucky if they run Tommy Stevens out there. Yeah. Also, I'd like to say that I think it's. Um, I think South Carolina can let they can get in their own heads in that game down there. Things oh, don't go their way. They're they're self destructing. I went to that game in 2015 in Columbia. Fun game. And their fans were kind of shocked. They were like, "We lost to Kentucky two years in a row." Yeah. And then 2017, they were mad. They had the blackout. I heard their fans were pissed. They were mad because they because they beat they upset NC State and NC State team we were just talking about. Right. How they had that all they that thought was the yeah going to be God's. And so they football. Kentucky goes in there. Kentucky looked just really shaky to start the season, especially on offense. Mm-hmm. And then just goes in there and kind of dominates the game. And they just could. Debo takes Man, that kickback, and then it was thank, all Kentucky from that point. Thank God he is gone. Mm-hmm. I was watching Monday Night Football with him. He is so good. And, like, the thing was, is I, he was, like, one of those things where it's like, dude, just Debo. Like, he'll just do it to you. I mean, because it was uh, Steven Johnson, I think, threw an interception. Next play, Debo goes 50 yards. Right. Just on a slant. Just beats Beatty. Right. Just because he's that good. And they don't have that. Mm-hmm. They don't have a running game either. So, that gets me excited. And what but gets me – thing to watch for South Carolina, though, Tavian Feaster, Clemson grad transfer – was a good running back at Clemson, but he was just stuck behind Travis Etienne, who is a freak. He um, reports out of camp is that he's been really good. So they, that could give them a legit running back that they really haven't had since the Spurrier era. So that's something that that's something yeah, we're gonna have to I, watch for early. I couldn't think of a name. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of the name. Um, what I'm excited for though this Saturday night, 7 p.m. Came from Roma Stadium. Florida Gators versus Miami Hurricanes. Gators seven and a half point favorites. Under forty seven. Oh. That's gonna be an ugly football game. You got football coaches are creatures of habit. Oh, this is a week early. So they their whole <laughs> career they've been building up to Labor Day. Now they're building up to the week before Labor Day. So, this is going to be a game you're going to see some weird stuff in. Like, yeah, you don't yeah. really see. And now, when you play unders, a lot of times you got to watch out for the pick sixes, for the special teams touchdowns. The for Jerry Williams' first You know, for a, a backed-up turnover. Yeah, Jerry Williams' pick six. But it's two really good defenses going at it. I two st- offenses that I think are going to be like, all right, if – we feel good about our defense. Let's pump the brakes. Let's take it slow. Let's milk some clock. Let's run the ball. I, I like that under a 47. I like the dogs in both games. Give right. me the dogs. I do like the dogs in the late ha- game. They're howling. Uh, seven and a half. Right? You get the touchdown on the hook right now. Just jumped up to seven and a half today. Yeah. So, give me that. Um, and some of it is just like I want, I'm want. i wanting it to be a right. close game. This is – you got to bet with your gut and your heart and – like I, I can't do pure numbers, mm-hmm. and so I'm going with uh, Canes. Go, Jerry Williams. Yeah, Miami's got a lot of offensive questions. Another reason I like the under is both these offensive lines are trending to be kind of average at best this season. We really don't know much about Florida. Miami hasn't had a good offensive line in a long time. But on the other side of the football, those defenses are, you know, they've got pros littered through both of those defenses at all three levels. Mm-hmm. So it's. I think it's going to be a defense first game, and I think it's like I think you're looking at something like seventeen thirteen. And uh, man, it's going to be an exciting night. I frankly cannot wait. Um, and we're happy that you waited around and stuck with us for an hour and ten minutes. And next week you get the full slate. Yes, get the full slate. We're going to be talking other games. We're going to be pre- previewing Toledo. We're going to have a depth chart to go through. 
going to have a lot to cover up next week, too, Mr. Ralph. Yes, yes. So, um, man, this was fun. Time flies when you're having fun. And we hope you had fun listening to another exciting, extravagant, I can't think of another adjective, amazingly spectacular, 11 Personnel Podcast. <laughs>